0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless.
1: Good morning, everybody. It's a great privilege to be here, as always, just to be with you guys. I mean, we, we are here quite regularly and we just enjoy the fellowship um, it is awesome to be with the brothers, because as the brothers dwell together in unity, isn't, isn't that where the Spirit of the Lord dwells, with us? You know, um, we have great strength when we are there to encourage one another. How many of you have ever had a word from God, um, and you've known that it's a word from God, but someone came up to you and just confirmed that word, and it just solidified it for you, and it changed everything. So sometimes you can hear from God for yourself, but just someone coming and confirming that word can actually help you take action on it, yeah? Amen. So yeah, great privilege to be here. Thank you, Steve, and the leadership for the privilege. It's really awesome. And um, you know, I've got, I've got quite a, a job to do this morning because what I want to talk about is something very close to, um, I think, all our hearts because it's the heart of God it was the heart of Paul, it was the heart of Jesus, it was the heart of Peter, it was the the heart of James, all of them shared God's heart on this, that God wants us all to grow up and be spiritually mature. How many of you think that's a good idea? Because spiritual maturity is something that we're all aiming for, am I right? But if we have the wrong starting place and the wrong destination, We end up in the wrong place. And so I want to discuss some things about, you know, how do we identify where we're at? How do we identify where we don't want to be? And how do we identify where we're going? And then how do we get there? And what's the mechanism in which we can approach this so that we do it in a way that it actually builds us up into Christ and that the whole body is built up and worked together in love? Amen? So this is going to be awesome, right? Are you as excited as I am? Yes. Amen. You give yourself a hand. <laughs> right. So, so um, basically, this is the command that Jesus told his disciples. Now, you're all disciples here. If you're not, by the end of the service, come to me. I'll get you saved and you'll become a disciple of Jesus. Amen. It's not a hard thing. J- Jesus made it very easy. Because number one, it doesn't even depend on you. It depended on him. Isn't that right? All right. So what does Jesus say? Well, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. How much will he be like his teacher? Just like his teacher. Who was the teacher in this particular sentence? Who was saying this? So was Jesus making the claim that we, as disciples, could be just like him? Is that the claim he was making? Would you agree with that? So he was claiming that everyone who believed in him would do the works that he could do and greater. He was claiming that Jesus came so that we could be. Okay, well, you'll get that. It's good. Okay, so so what's important is he's saying that there's a system or a process that happens from one point to the other, by becoming a disciple to being a fully trained disciple. Is that right? And the difference is training. Now when we think of training, we think of maybe a setting like this, right? When Jesus thought of training, he thought of walking through the streets of Jerusalem. You see, we're used to in the western world thinking of a situation like this where we can describe what it is we're trying to um, teach someone, and that's helpful. It has its place. It's very good. It, I'm, not, I'm not against it at all. I'm up here. But, there's a place where if I was trying to teach you how to play a guitar, I wouldn't be able to do it from up here. And so there are, there are actual things that Jesus did, and the ways that he responded in certain situations that happened on the fly. That as people saw his response, they saw what he was doing, they could identify, oh, that's godly. Isn't it right? When the people accused Jesus for having a demon because of what he said, often they said, but how can he have a demon? He's cast out a devil. He's healed a blind eye. He's opened a deaf ear. Surely a demon can't do this. And so there were things that Jesus did that helped people kind of reel back their judgment of the things that he was saying. How many of you know that Jesus' words were very offensive to a lot of people during his day? And so what we need to realize is speaking the truth, no no matter how nicely you put it, often people can take offense to it. Now, we don't want to deliberately offend people. That's not our heart. But we have to be able to speak truth into a world that is chaotic in order to bring order back out of it. Just as God did when He first spoke into the void and He called forth the light. Come on. Because He lives in you. So we have to first look at a couple of things. What did God give us to help us with this growing up thing? Amen? What did He give us to help us do this. Well, we have it here in Ephesians 4:11. It says, now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor, and the teacher. Now, let's just stop there. Every one of those things, did Jesus do them? Did Jesus do all of those? Those things that we just read there. Well, if Jesus did all of those things, then it meant that he was a fully rounded person. He had all of these things built into him. Did he prophesy? Was he evangelical? Was he a teacher? Did he go out? So you see, Jesus did all these things. So the game or the, the, the whole idea that Jesus is trying to bring to us is that he's going to supernaturally empower some people so that they have a responsibility to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church. Isn't that right? So, there are some people that are going to be here and in your life and are going to be discipling you that are there for the purpose of helping Christ be formed in you by the Spirit. Is this making sense? All right. So, watch what it says there. Their job, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work, right? And to build up the church of Christ. Now, how long will this happen for? Well, this will continue until we all come to what? A unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. Isn't that what it says? Of God's Son. That we will be mature in the Lord. So what makes us mature in the Lord? Is when we all come to the same unity of the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Do you know that word knowledge in the original Greek is the word um, epinosis? Hypnosis, or it means basically experiential knowledge. It means a knowledge gained through reason of use. It's the difference between reading about driving fast cars and actually driving fast cars. How many of you know when you speak to someone who's just read about it, they say things that someone who's experienced in it will never say? Because theory is one thing and practical is another, let's be honest, right? So if we never move from the theoretical to the practical, we'll never really have the kind of knowledge that it's talking about there. We have to take the, the, the pattern that's laid before us, and then we have to start building that pattern. And we have to build that pattern on the right, on the right foundation. And so we're going to look at that. What what it says here. We want to be mature in the world, measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So, the maturity is the full and complete standard of Christ. So, did Jesus say that you'll be like him? Is he expecting us here that that is the goal? Is that the destination? All right, great. And then he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. You see that? Um. Don't take it as an insult. If you do, Jesus loves you. It's okay. It's not an insult. He's trying to help us understand that just like a baby is all about itself, a son is all about the kingdom. Are you with me? A fully grown, mature son is all about himself. I'm going to show you this now in a second. We'll be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with uh, lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Okay, so you can see there's a, prog- there's a progression there. Am I correct? Okay, so this idea that when you get born again, all of a sudden you're as spiritual as you'll ever be in the manifestation of who you are is unrealistic. The Bible is clearly telling us that there is a progression, that you, you come to a positional truth that becomes an experiential outworking in your life. And this is exactly what um, Steve has been talking about when he's been doing the mind renewal s- stuff, because he's saying that in Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a transformation that happens as we take the word and we begin to put it into practice in our lives. How many of you want transformation? Not, none of you. Anybody? You want transformation? Well, guess what? Um, if you if you want to get rid of all the growth blockers that you have going right now, which those are all the things you're not becoming obedient to. Okay, growth blockers are disobedient things—things things that you are not becoming obedient to—and the only reason you would do that is because you don't know the thing that God's got for you that's better than the thing that you have. Doesn't make sense. You see, many of us are so holding on to our shack that we don't want to go and move into the royal palace. And you might not think so, but it's because it's a lack of trust, it's a lack of revelation, it's a lack of understanding. Those are the things that stop you. And so I'm hoping to bridge that, and I want to show you why this happens, okay? I, I trust you're enjoying this. So, this is an example here of the Corinthian church and how Paul identified them. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, it says that, the, that um, the Corinthian church came behind no one when it came to spiritual gifting. Isn't that right? In other words, the gifts were operating. But yet, yeah, Paul says... But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. So spiritual gifting operating has got nothing to do with being spiritual people. Because the Spirit doesn't operate by your works. It operates by the finished work through your faith. So you're not qualified for a gift. Otherwise, it would be something you earned, not something you were given. So you're not qualified. The gift of the Holy Spirit is something that's given freely. It's not something that we earn. And so we see that just because you have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you're automatically mature. So Paul is saying, I have to treat you like people of the flesh. Why? I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy, strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And you might say, well, Mark, there's none of that here. someone else gets a promotion, you don't feel just a little bit jealous. When something happens, you don't just get a little bit into strife. And I'm not talking about in the church only. I'm talking about in family. Instead of celebrating what other people are achieving, often we find ourselves wondering why it is that we're not achieving these things, and then comparing ourselves to one another when we're actually meant to compare ourselves to Christ. And this is the problem. So you can see that carnality is identified, okay, as this thing that is operating within the realm of people thinking about their own self-interests and not the interests of the kingdom. Does it make sense? All right. So he says, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Which means that humans think like carnal people. So, so what he's saying is your spirit has changed, but your mind hasn't yet caught up. Is that right? So every truth that's in the word of God is actually in you already. But your mind hasn't yet been reprogrammed to line up with that truth. So it has to come in agreement with the truth in order for the truth to have a pathway to work its way out into your life. Okay. I was, um, when when I was um, younger, because I'm still young. When I was younger, um, my parents took me to church all the time. I went to church with them always. And I really wanted to serve God. How many of you really want to serve God? And I really wanted to do the right thing. But I would always mess up during the week. How many of you mess up during the week? And so um, every time I came to church on a Sunday, they would do a call for salvation. I would come up and I would give my life to Jesus again. I did that about I don't know how many times. It got so out of hand, that the deacons finally told me, we think you're saved. (laughs) And the reality that I'm trying to bring across to you in this is that I was constantly coming to Jesus to get saved and then going back home to prove that I deserved it. And when I got back to church, I realized just how much I didn't deserve it and then did the same thing all over again. And, we, and we, we do this unknowingly. This is not something you set yourself up for. This is something that the devil kind of is trying to do so that he can disqualify your salvation. Because what he wants you to believe is that the blood of Jesus isn't strong enough to keep you. You see, the true, the true idea of trampling the blood underfoot is not about sinning. It's about denying the power of the blood to forgive you of your sin. This is really, really powerful. So you can see even here in in Peter, Peter himself has the same issue. 1 Peter 2, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and all slander and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. So you see there, grow up into salvation. Again, a growing process. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, it's very important that we understand this because we can see newborn infants don't eat solid food. Because they will choke. Isn't that right? So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a strategy here that both Paul and Peter and many of the other disciples understood that they must have got from Jesus. Isn't that right? Okay, so I'm, I'm just trying to unpack that for you so you can see every time they're dealing with people who are slipping into carnality, they're saying, put it away. They don't say, deal with it. They don't say, fight one another over it, sort it out, fix it. They don't say anything like that. They say, put it away. They don't say anything else other than put it away. Why? Because it was never a part of you. It was never meant to be a part of you. And so it's never yours. Put it away. Okay? Watch this. This is what spiritual maturity is not. Okay? Can you, can you read that? Okay, well, let, me, let me try. It's jealousy, strife, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. All of those are pivoted around the fruits of selfishness. And they are directly opposed to the fruits of selflessness. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And that might sound like a lot of work. It's not. Number one, you have to surrender to God's will. That means deny your will. Number two, you have to pick up your cross. It means you, you have to decide that no matter what happens to me in this life, I've already overcome. And following Jesus means to stay in step with the nature, the character, and the power of God in your life. Come on. Am I preaching okay? You guys Good. I'm just teasing. Okay. Right. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What was the final command that Jesus gave his disciples? He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. The minute you read that, you think, oh, okay, here we go. We're going back to the 10. But Jesus says, no, this is my commandment. That you love one another even as I have loved you. That means you don't technically, you know that there's the two, the two um, laws that sum up the law and the prophets, right? Love the Lord your God, and then the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Or do unto those unto others as you'd want done unto you. The problem is if you want to hurt yourself, then you have just, just reason to hurt others. If you hate yourself, you have just reason to hate others. Because your love for yourself then determines the love you have for others. But Jesus said, This commandment I give unto you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus becomes the pattern and the blueprint for how you should love others. So if Jesus can forgive you, then you should forgive others. And not the way you think you should forgive them, the way he forgave you. For example, no, I forgive that person, but I'm never going to see them again. Well, if that was heaven, you'd never make it. Isn't it right? You see, what God wants to do is, He wants to put His nature in us, and then He wants us to develop that nature and work it out in our lives. Okay, it's, it's very, very important. Because unless you put on the jacket, no one can see the jacket. Isn't it right? Imagine you spent a thousand rand on an awesome outfit that you never wore. What would be the value of that? How many of you would spend a thousand rand on an outfit you'd never wear? Anyone? God paid with His Son for an identity that many people never use. That their experience somehow triumphs The reality of what Jesus accomplished. That is a disaster. God paid the highest price so you could put him on. Not based on your ability to put him on. Based on what he's done for you, you can put him on. All you've got to do is say, I surrender to who you've called me to be. Have your way with me. Does this make sense? This is good stuff. Oh, hold on. So maturity has nothing to do with knowledge, okay? In other words, the knowledge you have or the gifting you've been given. But rather, it has to do with the degree to which you are walking like Jesus in your life. This is how we know that we abide in Him, that we walk even as He walked. Was Jesus the perfect expression of the Father? In Hebrews 2, Uh, 1 verse 3 it says, He was the exact imprint of the character and the nature of God. That means Jesus was so perfectly the Father that if you met Jesus, you would have met the Father. And Jesus even said so when He spoke to His disciples. From now on, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Which means Jesus represented the Father accurately. In His life, He surrendered to the words and the works of the Father. That's why now, as the Father has sent Jesus... Jesus has sent us. And just as Jesus was obedient to the words of the Father and obedient to the actions the Father wanted Him to take, so you too must become obedient from the heart to these things. And this is not a burden. Because it's only a burden if it's something you can't do. If I ask a chicken to fly, that's a burden. But if I ask an eagle to soar, that's no burden at all. Who are you? Are you a chicken or an eagle? Because if you wake up in the morning and you're still trying this Christianity thing, you need to do a reassessment. I wake up in the morning and God's mercies are new every morning. Again, he tells me, it's a new day. (laughs) I made a new day. We can do this. Because I'm going to show you how we grow. I'm going to show you what we need to be established in, in order to make sure that our growth is inspired and empowered by God, rather than inspired and empowered by selfish gain. Thank you, Jesus. Right, so here's the problem. This is the Hebrew church, and Paul's writing to them, and he says, you see... Although by this time you should be teachers over there, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's the law and the prophets. Isn't that right? You need someone to show you again the scriptures. Isn't that right? Then he says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. To be unskilled means to have a lack of application. In other words, you have the instruction manual, but you've never used it. You know what to do, but you've never done it. That's what it means to be unskilled in the word of righteousness. And remember, even if even if someone is unskilled, they're still a believer. Isn't that right? They're still a believer. Are they still gonna be with God forever? Yeah, but they just they're not skilled in righteousness which means that they're still immature. They haven't grown up into Christ. But we all want to grow up, don't we? Now remember, I mean, if you don't want to grow up in Christ and you want to um, just, you know, rob yourself of the benefits of being a fully-fledged son, then fine. But I can tell you there's many of us who want to grow up into Jesus and want to see everything that God has given us manifested in our lives, no matter what is going on around us. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, so that's, the, that's the key here. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Say constant practice. No, no, no. Say constant practice. Okay, so you see, it's constant. You know what constant means? Every day constant means every day so every day when you wake up you realize the mercy of god woke you up and the grace of god empowered you to be righteous again come on do you understand every day you have an opportunity to manifest jesus and every day you have an opportunity to manifest him more and more because you're becoming more and more skilled in the word of righteousness okay so if you are not established in righteousness you're going to have a problem because then you're going to be working towards it rather than from it you see if you work towards righteousness then you're trying to get something but if you work from it then you already have it alright so here we go grow have girls and boys there (laughs) so we have no problems amen Okay, we're all one in Christ. So grow. I want you to remember this. G R O W. Okay? Romans five seventeen For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance oh sorry, hold on. <laughs> My pad. <laughs> the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness and reign in life through that one man Jesus Christ. Okay? So what do we reign through? The one man Jesus Christ. Am I right? And what is it that gives us that reigning life? It's the abundance of grace through the righteousness of God. That's a free gift. Am I right? Is is, is that making sense to everyone? So technically, those things are all working together. Okay? So the first thing is the abundance of grace. We need the abundance of grace. Am I right? How many of you want more grace? Only five of you. Okay? You get more? Number one. You cannot receive more grace if you do not humble yourself. The Bible says God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Now you might say, well Mark, I'm very humble. I'm so proud of it. Then you have a problem. Because humility isn't about pushing yourself down. Humility is about recognizing who you are according to who God says you are. You see, if you say, I'm less than what God says I am, then you call God a liar. If you say I'm more than what God says I am, then you call God a liar. But if you say I am who God says I am, then you're in agreement and God is true and so are you. Does it make sense? So true humility is to agree with God in what he says about you. How many of you think that's a good thing? Okay, so we need the abundance of grace. Okay, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Do you see that word training? See that word training? Have you noticed how many times this word training has come up? It's on purpose. I put it in like that. Okay, so training. Us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in a present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who are what? For what? Okay, so do you know there's a difference between a dead work and a good work? Okay, I think I explained that, right? It's a work towards righteousness or a work from righteousness. If you're trying to earn what God has already given you, it's dead. If you work with what God has given you, then it's good. Remember, it's, when, when Paul wrote about how um, righteous, you know, the law is not going to save you, but grace is going to empower you, when he wrote about that, he was saying pertaining to your righteousness. He wasn't, he wasn't talking pertaining to the speed your car drives. He was talking pertaining to your righteousness with God. Isn't that right? So, so the thing is, if you break the law on the freeway, you've done two things. One, you've, you've disobeyed God. And two, you've disobeyed the law. The law will take action against you, and God would take action against you, but because of the grace of God, He has forgiven you of the action you took against Him. Does that make sense? So, but that doesn't mean... So you're still right with him, regardless of what you've done, but breaking the speed limit is still going to result in a fine if they catch you. So you can't get your fines together and say, God, why have you allowed this? I thought I was saved by grace. Do you understand? I'm trying to help you understand, like get a very healthy understanding of how this works. Because I don't know about you, but my eternal destination is way more important to me than my temporary position in in this world am i right okay so we can see here that only through gra- grace can we be born again you can't get born again without grace because god his grace is what made it available for us the function of grace was never to cover over sin but to take it away grace isn't a old testament covering over of sin Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't they behold the Lamb of God who covers over the sins of the world? Does it make sense? All right. And then the grace of God is what trains us to walk in righteousness. All these things listed here are they not righteous things? Okay. That leads us to the free gift of righteousness. So you see the abundance of grace. The free gift of righteousness. Listen, Jesus will always point you to these first His grace and His righteousness. Why? Because you have to be rooted and established in love, in Him. And if you're not, then everything you do will be to try and prove who you are rather than out of a place of knowing who you are. And you can't grow from the wrong foundation. Because your house will fall. Does it make sense? Your house will fall. Okay, so the free gift of righteousness. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Isn't that right? And it says, The righteous shall live by faith. Is that right? So if the righteous shall live by faith, the righteous don't live by earning their righteousness. They live by trusting the righteousness that's been imputed to them. Okay? So now, because, how many of you know the scripture says, by his wounds you were healed? 1 Peter 2, 24. Is it a future tense, past tense, or present tense thing? It's past tense. So you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't that right? And if you lose sight of the revelation of being the righteousness of God in Christ, then every time you read the Scripture and it tells you you've got to change something, you'll think it's a judgment on who you are rather than an insight to who you're supposed to be. Come on. I'm, I'm really, I, I really want you to get this. It's so important because what we've lost sight of is that this, the Scriptures are not there to try and This whole book that you have isn't a book full of God condemning you. It's a book full of God encouraging you to grow up into the full potential that he intended for you. And if you read it and you keep thinking, oh no, you know, um, I don't don't want to do this because then I'm going to be working for my salvation. No, you've already got it. How can you work for something you've already got? Once you've got it, you work out of it. You don't work for it. You've got it. How many of you are saved? Let me see your hands. You should be a little bit more excited about that. Right, so you're born again, right? So since you're saved, you can't work for it. But if you have the mindset that by doing it, somehow God is going to love me more, accept me more, then you will stunt your growth. Because you're growing from the wrong place. You're not meant to grow from the place of, I need um, approval in order to know who I am. It's like, no, I know who I am, so I do what I do because it's who I am. The secret to Christianity is not in the becoming. It's in the being. Okay? That's why Jesus didn't talk about the, um, you know, on the mount when he spoke about the, what was it called? What is it? The the be attitudes. Because it's how you should, what, be, not how you should do. Because you're not a human doing, are you? You see, he's talking about the, the attitude you have in your life. Jesus was explaining righteousness. He wasn't trying to condemn people. He was trying to say, this is how the righteous are. This is what righteousness looks like. And then he demonstrated it in his life. Is this making sense? All right. Okay. I want to use this quick illustration just to help you. Okay? As you can see, there's more, there's more good deeds than sin. Most people feel that if they can keep up doing good, then they can cancel out their sin. And even though they understand grace, they still think that if they can do enough good, they can cancel out the wrong that they do. It's like it's ingrained in people. The the fact of the matter is that you don't get judged on this column because you don't get judged on who you're meant to be. You get judged when you act contrary to who you are. So that you could do a hundred thousand good deeds. They would never cancel one sin. The judge doesn't judge you for walking the old lady over the road. The judge judges you for robbing the bank. So sin can never cancel out. Do you understand? All religion does is try to tell you that somehow you can do enough to cancel out sin. But yet the gospel teaches us that you can never do enough. Does it make sense? Say, I can never do enough to cancel sin. Jesus canceled sin for me. Okay, well, you're not that excited about it. Right, this is God's righteousness. Because it's God's good deeds working on your behalf, not your good deeds at all. So in the New Testament, your goodness doesn't come from you, it comes from God. And if you're rooted and established on that, then the works that you produce will lead to maturity. Because unless you are rooted in righteousness and established in righteousness, you're not going to grow into the kind of tree that produces the right fruit. Is this making sense? Alright, we're getting there. So, this righteousness, when we're in established in it, it gives us the ability to overcome any obstacle. How many of you face troubles at work with different people, your different situations? Okay, let me just call one that you all probably have, someone cutting you off in traffic. It might not sound like an obstacle, but it's an obstacle. Because in that moment, you're either doing a hip-hop party for the devil, or you're using the opportunity to speak life over that person. Isn't that right? You're either becoming obedient to your flesh or you're going to become obedient to your spirit. And if you become obedient to your spirit, then you're going to train yourself, okay, in who you are. You're going to sur- you basically will be surrendering to who you really are rather than allowing your flesh to control your life. And when people see your life, let your light shine then they will bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isn't that right? So what will happen is, as they see your life, then they will ask you, hey, what changed in your life? Why are you doing this differently? Why, when there was a so-called cyclone that was going to wipe out Durban, (laughs) like, that was going to happen. It probably wiped out Durban in the sense that everyone left work early and created the biggest jams and traffic problems ever you guys remember that? We had, I had people at my work who called themselves Christians. Freaking out as if the whole world was ending. I mean, they, they were so scared. I had to literally tell the one lady, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, then act like one. God is with you. If he's with you, come storm, howl, high water. He's with you. What can come against you? Nothing. If he's with you. But do you believe he's with you? Because fear only comes in when you think that you don't qualify for him to be with you. You see, when you're not established in righteousness, you cannot face obstacles. But if you are, then you will count all joy when it comes to obstacles. You will see that situation with your boss in the office as an opportunity to break in from heaven into his life. You'll see the opportunity with that lady that doesn't want to do this thing or that thing or the person who's just cut you off or the person in the line that just pushed in. You know, when someone pushes in front of you in a line, all you do is just hug and say, Jesus loves you. I've done it. I've I've had people put their food in through my till. Like, you know, when I'm busy praying, put the food in through the till. And then I look up at them and then they, they realize how big I am. And then their fear kicks in. And when I look at them, and they look at me, they go, sorry. And I go, no, it's fine. Now you're in. It's good. And I pay for it. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. He paid for it. Isn't it? He paid for it. And that's what we, you've got to train yourself. It doesn't happen automatically. I mean, how easy would it be to get upset in that situation? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who I am? Well, then they, they could turn around and say, well, don't you know who you are? <laughs> Isn't that right? So very, very important, guys. Okay. All of this happens through the Word of God. Breaking it down to the simple thing. If we don't take the Word, understand it, simply, and put it into practice in our lives, and share it with others, it will never be real but it has to happen on the foundation of righteousness and realize that grace is what is empowering you to do so. This is the, world, the will of God for you to grow. For the grace of God to empower you to walk in the righteousness of God every day so that every obstacle is destroyed by your, your deep-seated root in Christ, that no matter what comes around you, you will always bear fruit. And that can only happen when we focus on the Word of God. Who, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God. The only way we can do this is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on the pattern that establishes us in righteousness. Jesus has shown us what it looks like. God took His Word so seriously that it was forever fixed in the heavens and that it is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Jesus is like God's positioning system. It has one destination. It's called Jesus. And no matter how many times you try and take a different road, the Holy Spirit will try to redirect you, reroute you to get back on the road. But why take the long way when you can take a shortcut and your shortcut is obedience? I hope that this has blessed you
0: we can just stand up together. Did you get the acronym there? Grace, righteousness, obstacles, the word of God. A message on grace doesn't take one week to prepare or one month to prepare. It takes years to inculcate the good news in a way that changes your mind how you think about God his purposes in the church and in the world and about yourself and I think that ties up a lot with the prophetic word earlier about the unblocking of wells because wells have a propensity to be blocked nature gravitates towards atrophy So it takes the continual renewing of the mind for us to walk in our identity. And that was a message on identity this morning. So I'm going to ask Mark just to pray a short, simple prayer for all of us. And then we'll dismiss the service. But I'll ask those who identified earlier, just come hang around in the front, maybe on the left-hand side here. Because somebody will be yet to pray for you. So pray for us. Thank you, Father.
1: Father, we just thank you for everything you've shown us and given us this morning. And reminded us. But I pray for every person here. That they will be rooted and grounded in love. That the righteousness of God will be their, their passion. They will see that they were created to walk and talk, and be just like you in every area of their lives. Father, that they will not hold back, that they will love the unlovable, and bring joy to those who thought joy would never come. Father, I thank you right now to bless every single person with the revelation of who they are in you, and who you are to them. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.